0: father um, I'm not gonna lie I'm, <clears throat> I'm quite awkward I don't like public speaking and I know I said the same thing last year but I really mean it um, so I have no idea how to talk about St. Anthony I know that sounds cheesy but um, just because to me there's no way of narrowing topics so Joe had to choose the, the topics for us um, so the reason why I'm saying that is that if this is not going a direction that you'd like or that you're not benefiting from, just because I have the habit of just droning on, um, help direct me. If there's something that you particularly want to know, then do it. If you want, at the beginning um, of any lecture, you can kind of bring up some things that you hope that we're going to go towards um, or that you would like to have um, addressed. Because what I'm hoping to do is today is to talk a little bit about... Um, uh, the background, because last year most people didn't read the book. How many of you guys actually read The Life of Antony um, before coming? Don't be shy. That's what I thought. Okay, so today, because <laughs> last, last year I assumed a lot. So um, today I'm going to hopefully go through a background, and then tomorrow I apologize to the HRC crew because I tested one of the talks out on you guys. Um, it's not entirely being repeated, but it's going to be the same theme, as to talk about why the desert like what matters about the desert, and specifically discipleship, because that's what we learn from the desert. This just got really loud. Um, And then after that was to talk about spiritual warfare, to go through the life of Antony, just from his beginnings until he goes um, to learn from the feet of the elders at the outset of the city, and then some some important themes on the fourth day, or fourth lecture, um, and then a wrap-up. So that's where we're going with things, so I'm just saying that so that if there's something else you particularly wish to learn from to do it. Um, I particularly have a fondness for St. Anthony. Can you guys hear me without this? Really? Okay, thanks, Monica. <laughs> My bad, because I can hear an echo and it's going to make me laugh.) Um, <laughs> and then I'll be very distracted. Um, I have a particular fondness for St. Anthony. Um, and most of you know um, me from other churches, or it looks like a majority do. Um, for me, like, St. Anthony is, is the reason I'm still, like, a, a Christian. So I, I have only admiration for him, his monastery, his saints, his, his current disciples. Because when we're talking about Anthony, like, Anthony, um, in the words of St. Shishoy or St. Cecil in English, he said, if I had a thought, like, the thoughts of Anthony, the whole of me would be on fire. Um, Or he also, he ended up living in St. Anthony's Cave. Um, And he, when people asked him, what's that like to live in St. Anthony's Cave? And he said, in the cave of a lion lives a fox. Um, Because he sees himself as this tiny little creature, whereas it was inhabited by someone like St. Anthony. So St. Anthony is very alive and present until this day in his disciples and everything that he does. Um, So if we don't go where we want with it, ask questions, because... St. Anthony is a school, like, in and of himself. I truly believe that with the, the Bible, Life of Antony, um, and On the Incarnation, those three books by themselves, like, a Christian has everything that they need for, for Christian uh, living. All right, so today I was hoping to do background. Hopefully I don't take forever with it. Um, this might sound cheesy. It's up to you guys. If you want, close your eyes. Um, because today's going to be mostly storytelling. I really just want you to kind of get into the world of Antony to know what the world looked like back then, where he's coming from, um, because Antony is, is a normal dude. Like, he, he started off, he, didn't, he wasn't born a saint, like some stories of people who were born dripping oil. He was very normal, <laughs> like, regular person who achieved sainthood by the grace of God and by being very, very real, something that you're going to hear a lot being repeated is discernment okay is that Anthony was all about moderation like this is like the biggest thing that we learn from Antony. we have a lot of extremist saints but Antony is like when you want to learn what it means to be a balanced person a real person like not this fluffy like kind of person or the one who's like gung-ho let me punch you in the face with my faith he's neither extreme so we learn a lot from from this and it's going to be a recurring theme over and over So, first of all, I want you to leave the world that you know. Leave your computers, your phones, because we're doing a desert theme here. Um, Your friends, your social media, tall buildings. Like really just escape in your mind. If it helps you to close your eyes, close your eyes. But leave everything that you know behind and go back to a world um, where there's no phones, there's no cars, there's no progress, there's no ideological ideals. Okay, we don't have, there are ideals, but they're not shoved down our faces the way that they are today. There's no thought of what you're going to eat. You have no freezers. There's no watch on your hands. Um, There's no Fitbit Fitbit progress markers. Okay, leave behind everything. And go into a world that's completely foreign um, and that you've probably never even bothered to imagine. A place where people are real the devil is very real and God is very real to this generation it's not a secular generation Um, and this world has so little in common with us and yet at the same time much in common with us people literally sweat to make their living right they're not sitting at computers they are physically eating of the fruit of their labor they produce children not just out of love and joy but also because they want help they want people to work Um, with them side by side. They're they're their progeny and they're also their co-workers and they're also their whole lives. Um, Communities are not made out of individual members anymore. It's not an individualistic society. It's a communal society um, that's composed of families as units, not individuals. All the families together form the community. People cook for another. People spare each other commodities. Somebody will be the doctor for the group. Another person will grow the rice. One person will mill the wheat, another person will provide the water from their well. Everybody is providing for everybody and people don't believe in personal property in the same way that we do today. Everybody was seen as being necessary as part of the whole. And we go back to a world where death is a part of life. Today everybody hates death, everybody wants to conquer death, Um, but death back then was a normal thing. It was not a shocker to have. It was a normal punishment to receive from the law. It was normal that you could lose somebody easily to disease or to an accident um, or all sorts of things. And we're going to a world where people only feared the gods, whether it was the pagans, okay, or whether it was the Jews or whether it was the Christians. People had gods. And we're in an era where the Romans are in charge. They've owned the world now for a few hundred years and there does not appear to be any end in sight to their reign. People in each of these countries pay tribute to the emperor and to the capital. They send grain, they send gifts, they send taxes, they send bribes, they send slaves, they send all sorts of things to Rome. And in the Roman province of Egypt, the people have the same kinds of lives as elsewhere, right? And so Egypt was an important governorate of the empire because Egypt was rich in certain resources. So they pay, they live, they eat, they sleep, they die. That was the normal life cycle of a Roman Egyptian. Certain parts of Egypt were very Greek, very Greco-Roman in their, in their culture. Alexandria, for example, anyone who came from there at that time, we wouldn't necessarily call an Egyptian. We'd probably refer to them as a Greek because they were Hellenized um, culturally. So they had a philosophy that was Greek, they could read and write Greek, the language of social customs and culture, and philosophy was always in Greek. If you wanted to be considered an educated person, you knew Greek. Whereas a peasant um, might be unlettered, and usually, not usually, but unlettered often meant somebody who simply didn't know Greek. It did not mean that they knew no language, but that they were not cultured in the Greco-Roman way. And something else was unique to Egypt. Egypt was full of members of the cult of Jesus, followers of the so-called Messiah. Jesus of Nazareth was somebody who was purported to have risen from the dead. One of his followers had brought the good news to the people of Egypt. It started with Jews and it took over Alexandria. right? We know from the book of Acts that Jews were present at the Feast of Pentecost, right? It says that there are people who spoke, Um, Egyptian that were present that day, and they went back to their countries. Um, And so St. Mark actually came and found a community that actually already existed. He established it, yes, but there was already a group there. Um, They were still pagans in Alexandria, and there were still Jews in Alexandria. But the Christians also had grown immensely in number. And these early Christians... Of Alexandria don't have much of an identity okay their early starts are really just small communities where they get together they break bread could have been at night could have been in the morning there's not clear traditions um, of what existed they grew in number clearly but they're also seen as as strange as as weird Um, but they were allowed to live for a certain period of time early Christians didn't have a strong communal life like the way that you know it today. There was not Bible study on Thursday, retreats twice a year, um, Sunday school, Vespers, these things didn't exist in those first centuries. All that the community had together was the breaking of bread and Thanksgiving and the service of the poor. That was what Christians had and that's all they were known for. People who were skeptical of them um, in the nice scenarios just thought they were strange but people who are more aggressive consider them to be cannibalistic because they said that they were eating the body of Christ and to them that meant that they were cannibals they were accused of child sacrifice they were accused of many different things and the Roman Empire didn't particularly have a fondness for Christians because Christians had a strange way of thinking that opposed their culture right you've got a hedonistic society that values all sorts of liberties, and not just values them, but their own gods are participating in the activities. Their own gods are hedonistic. Their own gods come and have sex with humans. They have progeny. They have murders. They have envy. They have strife. They have slaves. So when a Christian comes preaching the opposite, um, it's not something that's very well welcomed. And so what started off very quickly were two things. Education, okay, where the school of Alexandria was established, um, it's not very clear anymore whether the school of Alexandria was a particular physical school, or whether it was just a school in the sense of a school of thought. In either way, Alexandria started developing education more than any other place in, in the where Christianity had, had spread. And so you had local leaders, people like Origen, people like Pantanus, people like Clements. Um, these are names that we don't all quote as much as we used to but they were important names Um, and they were people who taught the people what it meant to be a christian they also taught the clergy eventually how to be clergy simultaneously going on was a series of persecutions and so from the earliest days we see that christians were not treated very well in jerusalem they were persecuted by the jews and so they left They left and they carried the gospel wherever they went whether it was to antioch or to rome or to cappadocia wherever that they went whether it was even to gaul by the end of the first century into france is that wherever they went they were not welcomed and where they went they were persecuted the church then went through 10 formal um, periods of persecution where emperor after emperor after emperor would slaughter um, anybody who who held to the faith of of the cult of the christians and this is where we see the age of the famous martyrs that we that we celebrate. Saint Nina, Saint Minas was his was his name. Um, Saint George. If there's two or three of them at least, right? Saint Maurice of the Theban Legion. Saint Demiana. All of these saints are people coming out of these eras. Um, Saint Marina, of of a time where it cost a lot to be a Christian. But what this did. Um, was grow the church surprisingly right we we were a church that was watered by the blood of the martyrs, and the church started to take more and more of a form. The church had a bishop, and the bishop was the head of the church the bishop was the head of the city there wasn't there's was a bishop assigned to every city that's why today when we when we enthrone a bishop he's bishop of the christ loving city of and certain name because the bishop wasn 't assigned over a whole country he was not assigned over um, a province per se. He was assigned over a city. And if that city grew, if the, if the community grew, then his area that he covered might grow. But this, the, the bishop was seen as the figure of Christ. The bishop was seen as the shepherd. And his helper were the priests. And the priests were because he couldn't have his hands extend always as far as they needed to go. And so the priest was given priestly authority of the authority of the bishop as delegated by the bishop to have a rule and because of this the church had a much more community style feel to it okay it was not such an established environment you could come in and go and you could see the bishop shake his hand you could talk to him you could see him there wasn't an air of pomp and elegance that we um, we have given to the bishop not that the bishops asked for it but that we gave to them um, and the church was not a community center, center, right? It was not a place to culturally come and get together because the church instructed the people how to live their faith in the community, right? As opposed to trying to create a community separate from where they lived. People were very full members of society. So out of this came a love of dying for Christ, right? Which was the opposite of what everybody had expected. And as opposed to having... Christianity reduced and minimized, which is what the expectation was, they found that Christianity was flourishing. So it ends with the martyrdom of St. Peter of Alexandria, but we'll get that into, that into the life of Antony because Peter of Alexandria actually dies while Antony is alive, um, and the era of persecution comes to an end during then. But out of this environment, if you can go to rural Egypt, to Suef. Okay, A province that's just north of Alminia today, um, and it still was back then too. Um, and it's not considered the Sa'id, right? They usually unofficially kind of consider the Sa'id to start from Alminia um, and south, um, though everybody likes to claim that Amontonius was also a Sa'idi. Um, but he was born into an affluent family. But a simple family, he's not a Greek. He's an Egyptian, okay? He's born in in Venezuela. This is not an area um, of Hellenistic culture. This is a very strictly Egyptian culture. Um, and his parents were were rich, and they were farmers. Um, and Antony goes to school like any normal youth would go to school, except that he found himself, actually like many youth, totally bored um, with education. But his boredom with education was not, A resentment of knowledge as much as it was that he preferred something else over it, which was his meditation on Christ, right? We see that Anthony from an early age wasn't interested um, in being extremely social, right? He wasn't looking for having lots of friends. If you were to find Anthony somewhere, more often than not, he would be meditating to himself as he worked. He was someone who kept to himself, clearly cared about his family, as we'll see as things progress, but he wasn't your typical kid. And this is important in terms of identifying someone's calling, but we're not going to talk much about um, callings during this retreat unless you want to. Um, but he was unique. He was unique from his childhood, even though he wasn't excessive, okay? He wasn't unique in the sense of, like, he just fasted and prayed night and day and did all these things, but he was unique in the sense that he was extremely focused. And you'll find that theme throughout the life of Antony. Something that's very unique about him is that Antony is an undistracted individual, He knows exactly what he's after always. He knows what is the root cause of anything. He knows how to not be distracted by somebody's argument or some pretense of of asceticism. He knows what everything is, what everything means in its usayah, in its own essence, in its own substance. Um, And so Anthony is raised by them, and they allow him to withdraw from school and to help um, around the farm until the age of 18 or 20, St. Athanasius tells us, where his parents um, die. We don't know how they died. Um, it, it seems like it must have been some kind of accident if they both went at the same time, um, but we don't know. But suddenly, him and his sister found themselves orphaned. And Antony pre- continues the work of his parents, and he, he takes care of his sister. But we see that Antony was a meditative person, not, not just from... The description of his childhood, but because it says that at this time he would walk around and he would meditate on the life of the apostles, thinking what was it like for them to get up and and leave. So he's living a life already of, of meditation, and then the famous um, incident happens where he enters the church after meditating on these things, and hears the words of the gospel saying, "If you would be perfect, go and sell all that you have, give the profit to the poor, and come and follow me." Matthew 19 verse 21. Um, and Antony took it and, and he's got this unique relationship with Christ that we'll see where he, he knew and felt and believed that these words were for him. But contrary to how we popularly tell the story, he didn't just up and leave. He didn't just go and leave the next day. He continued to ponder on it and pray on it for confirmation of whether this was God's will or not. And so he started to distribute wealth, but he didn't leave. And as he wondered whether this was right or wrong and whether he should be worried about his sister, he enters into the church and hears yet again the words of the gospel speaking to him, saying, take no thought for the morrow, sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. And he knows that God is confirming him in his calling, at which point he gives away the rest of what he has, and in a very Antonian, practical manner, reserves a certain sum of money for his sister. He doesn't go extremist and, and, and force his asceticism on somebody else. Right. He cared for his sister. He took her to a community of virgins, possibly a a pre-existence of of what a convent looks like. It's not clear what what their living lifestyle was in that sense, in a Christian sense at the time. Um, Leaves her there and then leaves. And where does he go? He goes to the outskirts of the city. Okay, so St. Anthony does not first go and say, yep, got this down. I'm going to go train myself. Um, and this is what we're going to talk about tomorrow, he first goes straight to learn. right? He goes and sits at the feet of the elders of the city. So in that day, there was no such thing as monasticism. That's one of the reasons why we call him the father of monasticism. But instead, there would be certain people who would live kind of isolated on the outsides of the city, um, where they would devote themselves to whatever discipline that they preferred. There was no structure to it. Um, Some of these people might also have jobs. Right, because they also need to make a living. Maybe some people are living on their inheritances. But at any rate, Anthony saw these as, as the kind of, of life that he wanted to model. Right, He wanted to be set aside um, and consecrated to God. So he moves to the outside of the city, and in there he sits and learns from each one of the people there a virtue. If somebody was patient, he would learn patience. Somebody who was... Um, a peaceful person, he learned what it is to be peaceful. If somebody was generous, he would learn generosity. If somebody was full of joy, he would learn what it was like to have that joy. And it says that he did this in a way in which he brought joy to everybody who saw him, even the people who he was imitating. He wasn't somebody who made somebody feel uncomfortable um, with him advancing past them. It says that even though he excelled them in all that they did, he was able to have them won over right? versus somebody who's arrogant um, as they learn stuff of hitting someone over the head with it afterwards, where there's this new rookie who excels the ranks and just makes everybody uncomfortable because they feel a sense of competitiveness. Instead, Anthony was able to keep everybody rejoicing in him and, and excited to see his growth and development such that they called him God-beloved. right? They, they called him this person who is so close to God that they would basically say in, like in Arabic, Habib Rabbina, Habib Allah right? this is a beautiful thing to be nicknamed um, by your superiors when um, that was outdone, when he had already taken what he could from there he felt the desire and the compulsion to devote himself even more to isolation and he asked one of the elders if he'd be willing to move out Um, further or not and the elder told him that that was not for him he's like that's not my way and it's not where i am in my life so you're gonna have to go it alone so he goes um and he goes to the tombs and in those days tombs were above ground and tombs had rooms and so he was living in those and the tombs were generally considered the territory of the devil even our lord talks about how the devil like the demons go to the places of the dead um, and of barrenness. Um, and this is why the devil reacted strongly, right? Is that the devil saw him entering into his domain, right? The devil, whenever he sees somebody differentiating themselves in any way that is against the way of, of evil, will mark them, right? This is something that he's always done and what he will always continue to do. And so we see that St. Anthony enters into, and we're going to talk about these sequences of warfare, God willing, Lecture 3. Um, enters into a much more intense warfare to the point where after tempting him with thoughts and images and women and money and all sorts of things finally Antony comes to him um, or the devil comes to Antony um, and and beats him to a pulp Um, so Antony who at the time had somebody who would come and bring him food he would bring him bread every season came, found him almost dead dragged him, carried him back to the church and laid him in the church Antony came to his senses in the middle of the night and immediately demanded that he be taken back um, to the place of warfare. So he goes back and the devil gives him a round two. Um, Only this time in the warfare, our Lord himself appears to him, strengthening him um, and giving him victory. And Antony says to him, where were you? Which is something we're going to meditate on, which is the spirit of Antony, he's got a boldness with God. He's, he's able to talk freely with God. He asks him, where were you? At which point our Lord tells him that he was with him, and we'll talk about the details of that after, but then also crowns him with a new grace. It says that Antony, after that incident, found in him a strength that he never had before. He finds himself able to deal with warfare and with a completely new way, with a new acuity of thought, um, and with a clearly much deeper discernment than he already had, and he was already very gifted in that. And so from there, he moves even further, okay? And he goes to the the deserts of Beneswif, today is known as Dir el-Maimun, okay? Where he lived for 20 years um, as, a, as a solitary, as a hermit. Where for 20 years, he didn't see the face of a human being. We sometimes forget that Antony lived both of these lives, Okay, because he's considered the founding of, founder of monasticism versus St. Paul, who's considered the first hermit, the first one to live a hermitical life. But he did take 22 decades, which is a very long time, if you can think about how long people today can tolerate not seeing or talking to somebody. An excelled person might be able to last a few days, maybe someone else a couple of weeks, but somebody to go for 20 years without seeing the, the, the face of another human being is a whole other level um, of inner wholeness, um, wholeness with a W. And for 20 years, he was devoted to his ascetic practices. People would come by sometimes, and they would leave him food, or they would leave him bread, or they would want a miracle happen without him talking to them. But at those points, he wouldn't see them. People would go by, and they would hear the warfare sometimes. They would hear the sounds of the devil um, doing stuff in there. But for 20 years, he remained in solitude. Um, And when he comes out of solitude... It says of, St. Anthony says of him, his soul was free from blemish, for it was neither contracted as if by grief, nor relaxed by pleasure, nor possessed by laughter or dejection, for he was not troubled when he beheld the crowd, nor overjoyed at being saluted by so many, but he was altogether even as being guided by reason and abiding in a natural state. Through him the Lord healed the body ailments of many present and cleansed others from all evil spirits. And he gave grace to Antony's speaking so that he consoled many that were sorrowful and set those at variance in one, exhorting all to prefer the love of Christ before all that is in the world. Right? And this is the image that you're going to see consistently in Antony, is that Antony is somebody who is balanced. Right? He comes out and he's neither fat, it says by St. Athanasius, he's not fat from not doing exercise, nor is he skinny from overly doing his, um, his ascetic practices. But they say Antony was just as they saw him 20 years before. He was neither coming out miserable that people wanted to talk to him, as we sometimes do to show piety. It was like, oh, I would have preferred not to talk to anybody, but they insisted. Nor was he overly excited that he has a new fan club. right? He's got this balance, and all that he focuses on is the love of Christ and of bringing that to those around him in a completely balanced way, without overly talking about himself, without overly talking about um, his disciplines. And consequently the people are attracted by this image that they see in him. And you start to see that people start to build cells near him of individuals not living in community, but people living on their own as hermits who want to be near him, have access to him to ask him um, for advice. And they proclaimed him as their father. Right? This is something very different than how we do things today culturally um, in the sense that the father is somebody who is identified, He is not somebody who proclaims himself to be the father. The father is somebody that the community sees as the father and and confers upon them their acceptance by their going to him. And so he began to disciple. Um, And he taught us the importance of realizing that we're not giving up much in the grand scheme of things. That was his focus to these early monks, was to tell them that if you are to think of yourself as giving up an awful lot, you're not when you look at life in the grand scheme of eternity. Here's like a person who gives up a little bit of comfort for one day is really not giving up much. And if we understand our lives in the context of eternity, then our life on earth, as we say in the Litany of the Departed, is but a single day, right? Is that there's nothing in the drop of eternity. Um, he then goes on to give an important which um, lecture on spiritual um, warfare. I was planning to read some of it, but I think that um, it might be running late right now, so we can look at it another time if you want before moving forward. I don't know what the schedule is looking like, because there's more content, but I don't want to overdo. We're okay. Okay. I just want you to get a taste of what... um, of how Anthony speaks about warfare so you can understand... um, what those 20 years did to him, okay? This is not somebody who is just speaking arbitrarily. Um, wherefore, Wherefore, children, let us not faint nor think that the time is long or that we are doing something great. For the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed towards us. Nor let us think, as we look at the world, that we have renounced anything of much consequence, for the whole earth is very small compared with all of heaven. Wherefore, if it even chanced us that we were lords of all the earth and gave it all up, it would still be nothing worthy of comparison with the kingdom of heaven. For if a man should despise a copper drachma to gain a 100 drachmas of gold, if somebody were to invest a nickel for the sake of a $100, but if not even the whole earth is equal in value to the heavens, and he was given up a few acres leaves pretty much nothing, And even if he has given up a house or much gold, he ought not to boast, nor to be low-spirited. Further, we should consider that even if we do not relinquish them for virtue's sake, still afterwards when we die, we shall leave them behind. Very often, as the preacher says, to those to whom we do not wish. Why then should we not give them up for virtue's sake? Why not give up what we have instead of leaving it as as an inheritance? Why not give up what we have for the sake of our salvation and for a spiritual inheritance? Therefore let the desire of possession take hold of no one, for what gain is it to acquire these things which we cannot take with us? Why not rather get these things which we can take away with us, prudence, justice, temperance, courage, understanding, love, kindness to the poor, faith in Christ, freedom from wrath or hospitality? If we possess these, we shall find them of themselves preparing for us a welcome there in the land of the meek-hearted." And let us strive that wrath rule us not, nor lust overcome us. For it is written that the wrath of man works not righteousness of God. And lust, when it has conceived, brings sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings death. Thus living, let us keep guard carefully as it is is written, keep our hearts with all watchfulness. First, therefore, we must know this, that the demons have not not been created like what we mean when we call them by by that name. For God made nothing evil, but even they have been made good. Having fallen, however, from the heavenly wisdom, since then they have been groveling on earth. On the one hand, they deceive the Greeks with their displays, while out of envy of us Christians, they move all things in the desire to hinder us from entering into the heavens, in order that we should not ascend up thither from whence they fell, in order to prevent us from going to heaven from where they fell. And so there is need for much prayer and discipline. And then, when a man has received through the Spirit the gift of discerning spirits, he may have power to recognize their characteristics, which of them are less and which of them are more evil, of what nature is the special pursuit of each, and how each of them is overthrown and cast out. For their villainies and the changes in their plots are many. The blessed apostle and his followers knew such things when they said that we are not ignorant of his devices. Wherefore, I, having had proof of them, will speak to you as children." The demons, therefore, if they see all Christians, and monk especially, laboring cheerfully and advancing, first make an attack by temptation and placing hindrances to hamper our way. To wit, evil thoughts. The beginning of our warfare is evil thoughts. But we need not fear their suggestions, for by prayer, fasting, and faith in the Lord, their attack immediately fails. But even when it does, they cease not, but they subtly will come to you again. Because when they cannot deceive your heart openly with the pleasures that they are trying to sell to you, they start to approach you with the disguise. Thenceforth shaping displays, they attempt to strike fear, changing their shapes, taking the form of women, wild beasts, creeping things, gigantic bodies, troops of soldiers. But not even then need ye fear their deceitful displays. For they are nothing and quickly disappear, especially if a man fortify himself beforehand with faith and the sign of the cross." Keep in mind that none of these teachings have been given before, right? Nobody knew to sign the cross when something demonic happens. Yet are they bold and very shameless. For if thus they are worsted, they make an onslaught in another manner and pretend to prophesy and foretell the future and to show themselves of a height reaching to the roof and of great breadth, that they may stealthily catch by such displays those who could not be deceived by their arguments. He goes on to talk about the various warfares that we're going to talk about, God willing, Um, Afterwards, But he goes on to talk about the images that they take and the roots that they take. And he talks about the different kinds of spirits that they do and how he can start off by confusing your mind. And when the mind is taken, then it will be with images. And when the images aren't working, then he brings two things on physically. And then when those things happen, it's to take you to another extreme. But these are the words of somebody who's living it, not somebody who is being theoretical. It's not somebody um, who read it in a book somewhere. And this is um, one of the greatest legacies of his. After he goes through all of these things, um, the disciples draw nearer and nearer to him, um, hoping to learn from him how to, to do um, their own battles. And he gives examples um, galore, which I hope that um, if you end up picking up the book or... Um, getting the file if we have USBs or something because it's freely available is to read at least a specific section of Life of Antony that I can put it out for you guys if you want um, following this the persecution of Emperor Maximian begins um, which was one of the greatest in terms of the worst um, eras of martyrdom that the church had faced up to that point point. Um, and here we see again what monasticism came out of right is that we said that there had been a period of murder a period of martyrdom and the people were excited to die for Christ and when they found that they could no longer die physically as things waned um, they wanted to say how can I die for you while I'm yet alive how could I do accomplish what I would have accomplished had I died truly in the flesh um, on your behalf and so we see this real in Antony because once this persecution begins um, Antony is running from his cell hoping to die, right? Antony leaves his cell with one intent hoping that he will be permitted um, to die for the sake of Christ and yet we see that this did not happen. Antony proclaimed himself in front of the governor and when you read this in Excel stories you'll find other people that proclaim their faith, the, the, the governor would try and bribe them when they didn't cut off their heads and glory be to God forever. In St. Anthony's case, he would proclaim himself, and yet nobody was willing to kill him. Right? Even though he was defying the rules and the laws that had been proclaimed, even though he was directly and explicitly ordered to return to his monastic um, cell, Antony refused. And he refused because he wanted nothing more than to die. And when this was not granted to him, he continued to serve those who are dying for Christ. And you'll find that Antony is one of the most humble people, in in my view, in Christian history, right? Is that even though he's the great Antony who fought the devil, he's sitting at the feet of these people who are dying for Christ, serving them, feeding them, tending to their wounds, comforting them psychologically, telling them not to fear, walking with them to their death. This is the image of somebody who clearly loves and who clearly puts the needs of others um, above his own. But like we said, he was unable to be uh, killed, Um, as St. Athanasius says, but the Lord was keeping him for our profit and that of others, that he should become a teacher to many of the discipline which he had learned from the Scriptures. For many, only beholding his manner of life, were eager to be imitators of his ways. So he again ministered as useful to the confessors. Confessors are people who are confessing the faith. Um, And as though he were their fellow captive, he labored in his ministry he returns to the desert at the death of Saint Peter, the seal of the martyrs, right, which was the end of the era of martyrdom, right where that's why we call him the seal um, of the martyrs, if you have not read the life of Saint Peter of Alexandria then you're missing out monumentally, like that is mandatory reading if you want to have a depth of, of what early Christians looked like, it's a beautiful story written not by an Egyptian but by a Roman actually, a Roman librarian um, to understand how God brought mercy and peace to the church through the sacrifice of some of the most illustrious men in the history of Christendom. Um, When he returns is when we start to see miracles start to appear um, in the life of of Antony. Exorcisms become commonplace through him, miracles of healing, miracles um, even of the most illustrious kinds. Um, But this didn't make Antony happy. Right? Anthony was not somebody who was easily excitable um, by shows, which is why as these grew, when he saw himself beset by many, um, he wanted to withdraw himself according to his original intent. Like we said, Anthony's a focused person. He's like, this is not why I came. And so as his popularity and his fame grew, um, he, was, he feared that the signs which the Lord had wrought by him, that either he should be puffed up, or that others would think of him above what he ought to think, right? This is somebody who's who knows himself very well. He, he's not, he doesn't consider himself above ego. He considers himself as somebody who could easily have an ego. And so both for the sake of the people and for himself, decides that it is time for him to get up and go. Um, and so he gets up to leave, and the Lord guides him through some people who are local, and um, to take them with him to the eastern desert, which is currently part of the Red Sea Governorate in Egypt, um, about five hours from Rada, the Red Sea Governorate, which is the current site of his monastery. Um, And there he found water, he found a spring, which the spring is still there till this day, the same spring that St. Anthony drank from, um, as well as palm trees, which gave him a source of food he was able to have the dates of it, and that he was also able um, to drink water. But he also wanted to be self-sufficient this time, before people had to bring him his, his bread, right? And the reason why that they would have dry bread is not because that's what asceticism is, but because it was a practical thing. Dry bread wouldn't go rotten. So you could have supplies and stores of it so that you would not have to deal with people and that you would not need to have to worry about your food. That was the reason for it. And so Antony uses the water to till the land because, as we said before, he was a farmer. Um, and so he grew his own source of food, and he made his own bread so that he would no longer be dependent on anybody. So once again, he returns to his seclusion, right? His desire is always to be alone um, with God. And it says that at night, the mountain being full of wild beasts, and he wrestled with them. They would undo his work. If he was plating baskets, then the devil would come and undo it just to, just to, to piss him off, essentially. Um, they would undo it and he would redo it um, and he would see visions but Antony's response to this was such a level headed clear headed person was simply I am a servant of Christ if you are sent against me behold I am here right is that his you'll find that Antony's speech is always going back to Christ there's no confidence in himself right so he's just like okay if you're sent do your thing what am I going to do who am I right? So if you have authority to do something, then bring it on, okay? If you don't, then you're just making noise. And you'll see that this is the tone that Anthony uses often um, with the devil. He said, I am a servant of Christ. If you are sent against me, behold, I am here. And now the monks start coming to him again, right? Is that the, the men of God, holy men and holy women, Amasera, we have desert mothers as well that had similar characteristics, um, people come attracted to them they weren't going to leave Antony alone once he's picked up and bounced they wanted to find him it took them a period of time to find him but they did um, and when they did um, they came in numbers again so monks began to come again to him for instruction but he didn't get angry he was like no 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 that's not why I'm here he actually rejoiced in them and rejoiced in their progress and rejoiced to see that they wanted um, to grow And so we see him gaining even more gifts than he had before. He has healing supernatural gifts. He has foresight. He has visions. Um, He has a gift of healing. He has a gift of seeing things. You start to read accounts of his ecstasies where he'll be sitting with people, but his mind is somewhere else, um, which we see even today in some of his disciples. Um, And whenever he was perplexed in his meditations, things were revealed to him in providence by prayer. Right where he would literally be like, I don't understand this. God send me Moses, and he would go off, and God would send him Moses, um, and explain to him um, the words that he didn't that he didn't understand. So this is a whole level of communion with God um, and Dalla <laughs> <laughs> um, But um, is Anthony? Um, but having seen this, okay as it were being reminded, he struggled the more daily to advance towards those things which were done, which were before. And these visions he was unwilling to tell. Okay, that this is not somebody who would just come and, and tell the whole world what he saw. But as he spent much time in prayer and was amazed, when those who were with him pressed him with questions and forced him, he was compelled to speak as a father who could not withhold anything from his children. And he thought that as his conscience was clear, the account would be beneficial for them, that they might learn that discipline bore good fruit, and that visions were oftentimes the solace of their labors, right? So everything he did was always for his disciples, and we're going to talk about some of those concepts that were mentioned here later. Yet he remained humble. Um, he observed the role of the church, and he was very ecclesiastical. Antony would honor everybody. Antony wasn't even a deacon, okay? So, like, not even an absaltos, not, like, anything. Antony was just a dude, okay, in the church and nothing more. And so when a, when a deacon came, even a, a deacon, it says that Antony reverenced him um, with full honor of the church, even though that deacon is coming because they want to sit, he wants to sit at the feet of Antony, right? Whereas Antony would be the, the quickest to offer veneration and honor um, to a person of rank. He didn't have priesthood, right? Um, and yet he honored the rules of the church in um, and, and full humility, Um, And he was always cheerful, is what it was said of him. Thus Antony was recognized, for he was never disturbed, for his soul was at peace. He was never downcast, for his mind was joyous. That's why even in the apparitions of Antony, he's always smiling, right? Like anybody that's seen Antony will find that he's always peaceful, he's always kind, he's always, um, I'll tell you a story later of 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 a group of youth that, he appeared to when they were like (coughs) behaving horribly. Um, And they were crying and he was smiling. Antony, even to this day, he always bears these characteristics. Um, But he was always joyous. He leaves the monastery again for another task, um, which is important for us to realize because we sometimes think that spirituality is divorced and devoid of theology. This is not the case. um, In that, Arians at this point was the heresy of Arius, who was denying the divinity of Christ. That obviously Athanasius was notorious in Christian history for fighting, but when they wanted to kind of advance their platform, they accused—not um, accused—they claimed that Antony um, was on the side of the Arians, and so they wanted to get basically celebrity. Uh, uh, recognition and endorsements, right? Is that if Antony is an Arian, then you should all be Arian because, because Antony is clearly a holy man. So they started saying that this was the belief of, of his. So right away, Antony doesn't say, oh, well, it's none of my business. I'm not a priest. The bishop can deal with it. Athanasius, can, he's got his hands. You yeah, know, he's a strong guy. Um, instead, the first thing he does is he leaves. He leaves to clarify to the people that I absolutely do not believe in this. Um, and to say that, um, that this is not his doctrine, which is important for us to realize that we do have to serve the church. That even though Antony saw himself as, as, as called to solitude, he didn't forsake his duties to the community, right? Is that a monk is not divorced from the life of the church. Even if he's living in a particular corner of the church, he is, he is part of the church. Um, and so he saw a duty to come out and to be very clear um, on what he believed, When he returns, um, people just don't leave him alone at that point. And we see multiple scenarios of philosophers now. His fame has now reached the ends of the earth. You find Greek philosophers that are coming, um, hoping to put him to shame. Um, So two philosophers, there's a famous story of two Greek philosophers that came, who considered him a a bit of an idiot. Um, And so Antony, as they come through an interpreter, says to them, so do you think I'm a fool? Or do you think I'm a wise man? Because if I'm a fool, why did you travel so far to see me? And if I'm a wise man, then why don't you emulate me? He was very simple but very deep um, in what he would say to people. He often has short one-liners. Anthony's not a man to talk for hours and hours unless there's a specific subject. If there's a specific subject, he'll go to town with it. Um, But if there isn't, he's short. Um, Others came to mock him because he was unlettered. Right, because he was ignorant. So there's a little bit of debate as to whether Antony was actually somebody who didn't know how to read and write at all, or whether he just couldn't read and write Greek. I'm of the opinion it was specifically Greek um, because of the amount of biblical knowledge that he possesses in solitude. He's memorized so much of scripture um, that I don't think he got from just his youth in the church um, because he was in isolation for so long. Um, but then Antony asks him an important question and says, um, I have a question for you. What came first the mind or letters? Did letters create the mind or did the mind produce letters? So they said well obviously the mind produced letters So I respond saying well if that's the case, then Does it matter whether I know letters or does it matter whether I have a sound mind because my sound mind can produce letters? But your letters can't produce a sound mind Your your letters produce your own things whereas the mind is of its own nature something higher um, which surprised them. They're surprised that this, this simpleton from Beniswayf, um had any kind of, of philosophical capabilities. Um, and then another group came mocking religion, and, and it's very interesting to see, because we sometimes think that he was an ignorant person, how well versed he is in Greek paganism and philosophy. He expounds to them problems in their own religion, and he goes through different stories of their myths and their legends, Um, to show them the kind of ludicrousness of of what they were presenting to him. They were mocking the cross, and they're mocking the concept of the incarnation, um, which um, he thought was ridiculous, given he was like, well, your gods are down here having sex and, you know, um, killing people, right? When they take forms, they take forms of animals. Um, And he was like, but you're you're bothered that ours comes down to lift us up? Um, And so you see in him that he's a theologian, as... I don't know if many of you have read it. Vagrius says a man who prays is a theologian, and a theologian is a person who prays. Antony is a theologian. Um, And that's why Athanasius learned so much from him. Right? St. Athanasius, um, according to tradition, spent a decent amount of time at the feet of Antony. Um, And there is a tradition, I biasedly believe in it, um, that St. Antony edited um, on the Incarnation uh, for St. Athanasius. Um, that he would go for walks and Athanasius would expound to him what his thoughts were um, and Antony would correct and reprove and modify and you'll see if you compare the two texts if you can look at the letters of Antony um, and you look at on the incarnation how similar the language is um, to one another that it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me but this is somebody who taught patriarchs even though he's a simpleton um, who dropped out of school um Then his fame reaches to the point where Emperor Constantine um, sends him a letter. And the monks get really excited by this. Um, And like he said, Antony's just such a stable person. Antony's like, I don't know why you're excited. Um, He's like, it's nice of him that he wants to write. And he goes, but I'm a little bit confused. Why aren't you this excited that God has written to us um, through the prophets? He's like, why doesn't it bring you the same joy to know that God himself has sent you letters and yet you treat it so lightly. Yet just because some rich guy in Rome has sent you a letter, like you're losing sleep from excitement. Um, and it says that they actually had to press him to write um, back because he had no desire to to start this whole you know, um, dialogue uh, with the emperor of the whole world. Um, instead, he tells him, Please be kind, feed the poor keep the faith, right? Like, is that he's just like, yeah, do your thing, but like, just love Jesus. Um, which, again, shows you his mind, where it's always at, all the time, right? He's not like, can you send us some wheat? Right? Like, there's no, there's no desire, there's no request. In fact, it's an, an exhortation for him to be holy. Um, and so, more holy men come to him. Saint Macarius the Great was made a monk um, by Saint Anthony. Saint Didymus... Or not saying didymus he's not saying to, didymus the blind um came to him for instruction and there's a famous conversation where Antony asked him like are you are you depressed that you can't see um and and didymus was like yeah um, and so <laughs> but I like that he asked first um, but then Anthony was like that's, that's bizarre to me it's bizarre to me that with your knowledge and your wisdom of God that you should be so bothered by such a thing and actually Didymus left him excited but these are people who lived in his cave that's why maybe at, at one point maybe during a break I can put up some pictures Because these are real places, like these these are not theoretical places where you can sit and pray in his cave where he slept, where he laid down, where these people visited him, where he fought with demons, Um, and the whole place bears this holiness. Um, And so he discipled them, even St. Bechomius came to see him. Um, Allegedly, St. Anthony said he would love to go live with him, but I think that's a Pachumian exaggeration. Um, But... um, After a ripe old age, right, this was, I forgot to tell you at the beginning, he was born in 251. Um, So in the year 356, Antony, who up to that point has maintained perfect health, like because again, he's such a balanced person, right? He didn't wear out his body. It says that he had all of his teeth. Um, They were worn down to the gums practically, um, but he had all of his teeth, which was unusual at the time right? He had his health, he could walk, he was able to carry himself with dignity. He was going up and down the mountain. And those of you who have done that, even using the stairs, um, know that it's a bit of a labor. Antony didn't have stairs, right? Is that he was, he was going up and, and walking up with vigor and strength um, of his own. So near to his, his death, St. Antony went out to make his last goodbye. So he'd be up in his cave sometimes, and then he had the community that was near the bottom, um, of the monastery today, um, as well as to those who live in the caves on the outside. So he went out to the outer mountain, which is where the people were, um, and told them, um, "This is my last visit to you, which I shall make. And I shall be surprised if we see other, if we see each other again in this life. At length, the time of my departure is at hand, for I am near an hundred and five years old. And when they heard it, they wept and embraced and kissed the old man." But he, as though sailing from a foreign city to his own, spoke joyously and exhorted them not to grow idle in their labors, nor to become faint in their training, but to live as though dying daily. And as he had said before, zealously to guard the soul from foul thoughts, eagerly to imitate the saints, and to have nothing to do with the Miletian schismatics, um, for you know their wicked and profane character, nor to have any fellowship with the Aryans. Even on his deathbed, he cares about people maintaining the faith and the unity of the church Um, because both of these people were people who truly divided the church for their impiety is clear to all nor to be disturbed if you see the judges protect them for it shall cease and their pomp is mortal and of short duration this is important it's not just to be theological to understand that a man of god with their visions and with their prophesying can comfort the people by letting them know what is going to happen before it comes to pass right as our lord said Right, is that because when you see these things, to have comfort and to have confidence and to have boldness, that even on his deathbed, he's concerned with the life of the church. Wherefore, keep yourselves all the more untainted by them and observe the traditions of the fathers, and chiefly the holy faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, which you have learned from Scripture and which you have often been put in mind by me. He then goes on to tell his close disciples. He returns to the inner mountain and he has two or three that are with him, one of whom is most likely St. Serapion, the bishop. Um, he tells them, um, I don't want you to do what the Egyptians are doing. Their custom has started to grow with the martyrs, um, is that martyrs' bodies often were wonder-working. They did miracles. They also wanted to honor the martyrs for what they did. So a weird custom had begun where people would take the bodies of martyrs and put it in their own homes. Rather than to bury them, they would bring them into their houses, and make an uh, almost like a shrine for them, Um, And they'd be like a local cult around the shrine. Some of these would be in the church form. Other times it would be in the homes. And Anthony was very, very, very much um, opposed to this. Um, And he used to actually often urge the bishops to vocally condemn it um, because he felt like it was um, a wrong practice. And so he said to them, he said, if all the apostles were buried, then we ought to be buried. It was even more importantly, if our Lord Jesus Christ himself was put in a tomb, and a stone was put before the door, then if he is our perfection, then we ought to not um, follow this practice. So he forbade his disciples um, and told them not to allow them to do that with um, his body. And then he says to his disciples, I, as it is written, go the way of the fathers, for I perceive that I am called by the Lord. And do you be watchful and destroy not your long discipline, but as though now making a beginning... Zealously preserve your determination, for you know the treachery of the demons, how fierce they are, but how little power they have. Wherefore, fear them not, but rather ever breathe Christ and trust him. Live as though dying daily. Give heed to yourselves and remember the admonition you have heard from me. Have no fellowship with schismatics nor any dealings with the heretics. Therefore, be the more earnest always to be followers first of God and then of the saints." that after death they also may receive you, the saints, as well-known friends into the eternal habitations. It's interesting that Antony himself is talking about intercession and the life of communion with the saints. Um, Ponder over these things and think of them. And if you have any care for me and are mindful of me as of a father, suffer no one to take my body into Egypt, lest they put me in their houses. For to avoid this, I entered into the mountain and came here. Bury my body, therefore, and hide it underground yourselves, and let my words be observed by you, that no one may know the place but you alone. For at the resurrection of the dead, I shall receive it incorruptible from the Savior, and divide my, and, and divide my gar- garments. To Athanasius the bishop, give one sheepskin, and the garment whereon I am laid, which he himself gave me new, but which he with, with me has grown old. To Serapion the bishop, give the other sheepskin, and keep the hair garment yourselves. For the rest, fare you well, my children, for Antony is departing and is with you no more. Having said this, they kissed him, they lifted him to his feet, um, and he gives up his pure soul. And his story reaches the ends of the world. Antony's body, according to Coptic tradition is under the altar of Saint Anthony in the ancient church that bears his name in the monastery Um, there's another tradition that could be true Um, there was a period of a hundred years where the Byzantines had possession of the monastery um, in which um, they took the body with them when they were removed um, took it to Constantinople um, and five centuries later was sent to Rome when they were doing the restorations of the ancient church of St. Anthony and his monastery, um, there's a tradition and we learn a lot from tradition by physical customs of, of people. Sometimes there are physical customs that make no sense to people but they're bearing a history with them. It was always a custom in the monastery of St. Anthony that everybody would bow and do a prostration before the altar but then they would go to the north, to the south and do a prostration in this tiny little opening where they currently light candles. And when they were doing the restorations, when they had the machines, they were re- restoring icons of the church. They had a, a, an imaging machine where they're using to find out how hollow walls are, what everything is doing because they need to be careful not to destroy the church um, when they're doing the restorations. What they found was a very clear tunnel that leads down um, to what looks like a crypt um, beneath, um, like right next to the, the main altar of the Church of St. Anthony. Whether there is a body in it or not, we're not sure. Um, but that might be discovered in the coming years if the uh, Department of Antiquities because that's considered an ancient site gives permission for there to be an opening of that area to find out if the body is there or not but I have no doubt that that is where his body um, was laid to rest this is the legacy of Antony Is the father of all of the monks of the whole world whether Catholic or Anglican um, Eastern orthodox oriental we we produced Anthony is the father of all of us um, and he produced us. Um, he is a teacher of discernment um, he is the image and prototype of of balance of of honesty of, of devotion without extremism um, and it is him to this day who calls monks it is him who calls people to his name um, and it is him who will still instruct him. I instruct them if if they ask him. Um, He's the father of anybody who bears the cross, right? We call them desert fathers, the cross bearers, and they're close to those who do. And the father of all those who bear his name, whether ecclesiastically or secularly, if they choose to call upon him. But that is the story of Antony. And we'll get into more detail of how to learn from him more specifically, God willing, in the next um, lectures. Any questions about his life or the monastery or anything of that nature? also there are monasteries down in Anthony where when I went they just had bodies and bodies and bodies just laying out there Um, so I was just kind of wondering what's the stance? The tradition was to put the relics under the altar right like that was what the church did so you would would pray the place was made holy or consecrated by the blood of that martyr or saint Um, and then in traditional typical Egyptian form we just got carried away Right. So then it was just like, no, that's so cool. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, I can also understand where when you have something like an incorrupt relic, right? Is that an incorrupt relic is something that the person couldn't have done themselves, right? It's something that God has done to show us something. So in that case, the church does see it as important to show that, right? To say, okay, because the whole point of not the whole point, but one of the points of the saints is that we look at What is, what worked? Okay, we all want to get close to God, right? So if this is, if this person God has honored, it means they were doing something right. So then I look at that person's life and say, well, what did they do right? So those are people we do want on display, right? We do want somebody to see it, to be aware that this is a sign, a testimony that our faith is real, right? That there's a supernatural um, testimonial, if you will. But also then that if God has chosen to honor them, then why would we hide it? right like that that I think is where it is but there needs to be a balance between the two extremes that this is not a display it's not a show right and it's not entertainment and it's not a money making business okay and on the other hand um we do want to elevate them in the eyes of the people right and the monasteries of course um which is really where the real custom of relics was right I, I, it, it got out into the church in the last 30 years i want to say Actually, Pope Shinoda is very opposed to what was there, um, like to this current custom. But it used to be more of a monastic thing. And usually it was to boast, not to boast, but to revere and venerate the monastery's own saint, right? Like you wouldn't bring the relic of St. John the Short to St. Anthony's monastery, right? You would keep him in his monastery where he was. Um, And if you read um, the history of the lives of the monks of Upper Egypt, Sorry, no the, the, sorry, the story of Abba Daniel of Shahids. there's an all out like village war over the relics of of Abba Daniel where they like they, they practically beat each other up because they're like, no he's ours, and we want his body right there's like, this sense of, of like ownership of the local saint, so balance you talked about Saint Anthony having discernment? I think it's something that I feel that I know very little about and he kind of I felt like you went over it kind of quickly in, in what ways did he have discernment um in what ways did it grow and and, and how important it, is it for us to, to, to pray to have discernment you know in our, in our own lives we're going to talk about discernment twice okay. probably tomorrow and on and on sunday but to answer your second question saint anthony said um without discernment you cannot acquire a single virtue you cannot acquire a single virtue without discernment so like how important is it to pray for it? it is essential right and if you don't have it cling to someone who does um because discernment is is this the middle road the royal way is what they call it in the desert language um they call it the royal road that has saved many right because a person who goes extreme to the left somebody who just self-indulges is in danger and a person who overdoes it is in danger Right, and so discernment is this middle road of saying I will not be excess in any way Right, to find what is the root cause, what is the reason for what I do, but we'll discuss it in a lot more detail because it's one of the biggest uh, legacies of, of Abba Yeah, that's always been a bit of a mystery with the hermits um, because there are hermits who, like, so would bring communion, okay, but there weren't at these times because these were the first guys. Um, but I do think that they had a concept which is dangerous to kind of pursue, obviously, of what we call spiritual communion, okay, where somebody by compulsion cannot have it, where that they are in communion in a different way. Um, And obviously a special grace from God because both him and St. Paul the Ink, right, were living callings, right? They were not self-called. If you're self-called, you don't get grace. But if you're called by God, you get grace because he asked you to do the labor. So I'm sure that he received some kind of grace for it. I don't know. It doesn't say that he did this, and I doubt that he did this. I know when he was in the tombs, he probably went regularly to the church because that's how they still knew about him. Um, but I think it's when, during the 20 year period, I don't think he, he saw any, I don't think he went to church at all. But I obviously don't know with certainty, but there would be grace. Okay. <laughs> okay. We'll have index cards in the back, you can write them down and we'll get <laughs> My bad guys what's next? What, can you uh, quickly share the story that you time. What are you going to make an announcement or are deciding Danny has an announcement. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Can I use the mic? I'll go for it. Um, <clears throat> thank you, Abuna, for that first talk. So, um, we wanted to.